welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. Welcome to the Out of the Park podcast, a ministry of the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am the Reverend Dr. Mike Hegeman, the Associate Director of the Park Center. We are focusing on back to school. This time of year in Arizona, at least, it's time for kids to be going back to school from uh, from preschool through through college age. Everybody is going back to school. And so we want to take a look at how our faith informs what we do, but just what are the challenges uh, of education right now? And to joining us today, we have with us Dr. Patty Jensen, who is going to tell us a little bit more about her role in public education. Absolutely. So um, I've been in public education for about 20 years. Um, I started as a high school Spanish teacher. Then I taught high school ESL. Um, we and That was in the state of Washington. We moved to the state of Illinois where uh, I was working on my graduate degree in educational administration and foundations um, out there. I moved down to elementary school. I, I did teach a year of high school there as well, high school Spanish, and then moved down to elementary ESL classes. Um, ESL is English as a second language. Often we now call it ELL or EL for English learners. Um, after my four years in Illinois, um, I earned my PhD in educational administration and foundations, and we moved to Texas. Uh, while I was in Texas, I worked largely with um, a bilingual population and um, I was a bilingual ESL coordinator for a year for a school district and then um, went back to the campus and really enjoyed my time as a principal and building leader of two different bilingual schools, um, both of them with high needs, um, low socioeconomic students, um, traditionally categorized, categorized as at-risk students, um, and really worked on um, empowering their language as opposed to um, taking their language away from them and, and using Spanish as their first language to help their development of English. Um, then, So I was there for 10 years and um, was a pr- principal there for about seven years and then moved to Arizona. And I've been a principal in the Cave Creek Unified School District, which was very different from my time in Texas. Um, and now I'm assistant superintendent of educational services for the Cave Creek Unified School District. So that means I oversee all of the K-12 educational side of things. Um, So as my children like to say, I'm the principal of the principals. Wow, that is a lot. I didn't know a lot of that, a lot of that background. I knew what you're doing currently. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. I, I myself worked, did ESL work in, uh, in China, uh, 30 something years ago and, uh, learned the foundations of ESL as well. Uh, so you are both, you know, we've just heard your background in public education, but you're also a parent. Mm-hmm. And what, what age range are your kids right now? Yes, right now I have uh, two fifth graders and a third grader. The week we're taping this, school has just started. So as a parent, what's the what's the biggest transitions that you've faced this year coming into school? I, I think it's just the typical, uh, well, first of all, it is a typical year. You know, we've, we've kind of had so many COVID-type situations going on, and this year it really does feel just very typical, but nobody's used to that, so that's not typical anymore. Um, so kind of getting back to that. Um, 
just returning to the routine of, oh, we've got to be up and out the door by a certain time. I worked all summer. However, my children were at home most of the summer and definitely more relaxed activities. And so just getting back into the swing of the schedule, you feel very tired by the end of the day. I know that in your own family, you have a a high regard for education. And so that even when your children are not in school, they're learning all the time. What is as a as somebody who oversees schools? How do you foster that that in for other people? You you said you worked at at risk students, and uh, where you are now, what's the best way you've seen to foster kind of continuous learning, whether kids are in school or not? Absolutely, um, that's a good question because it, it it is very different with our at risk communities. Um, it was mostly a scheduling issue in terms of when can we. Um, best meet the needs of these families and help them see their role in their children's lives. Um, and with these families, you know, it still does become a scheduling issue uh, because they're overscheduled and they're, they're in something every single night of the week. Um, ultimately, I've found reading is the best way to, to enter in any, for, for any group. And so we've tried to do some book studies um, across some of our schools and with our families encouraging them to read books with their students, uh, which the parents may or may not understand that they are actually learning a lot and building a great level of empathy among themselves as well as they read about some of the topics that our, that our kids are facing. So we, in a sense, trick the parents into uh, learning alongside their children by reading with their kids. I think it's really important. My, my own mother was a English language coordinator uh, of the Republic of the Marshals. And so, yeah, I think that's a, quite a title. But so she, that what that meant was she in the South Pacific, she was she helped to build libraries and she was doing a lot for literacy in that area in the South Pacific. But she also then at home. This is something we credit to her for as that she read to each of us children uh, every every day. I would I would say every day, and so we had a great foundation in reading. I never thought about that as families learning together. Is that I always think that the children are learning, but the kinds of things that we're learning, both the sense of empathy and connection. There's a lot that goes on in here, and really being attuned to a child's uh, life and life patterns and what they're work dealing with through reading and through discussing and you know having those kinds of discussions. Absolutely, and and I do feel like um, in my when I was in Texas working with more at-risk families, it was a matter of access. Do they have access to the resources they need? Here, uh, most of the parents in the community I serve now do have access. Uh, that's something we take for granted. And instead, it's about encouraging them to see the value that they need to place in that and, and really pushing it to, um, yeah, understanding why that's so important. So I know with my own kids, Every night, no questions asked. There's three books we read. Um, they're always different, but uh, three books, it's just kind of our routine, and it's special, and it's my favorite time of the day. And um, they've actually even told me that that's one of their favorite things to do, too. Ten minutes, we read three books. Going into a new year, public schools, what are some of the biggest challenges that you feel like you're facing? Now, so we know in some ways we're coming out of pandemic years, and so that could be number one. But So I'll ask you first, what are the challenges you're facing this year? But then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the past 20 years and maybe some of the changes in education. So let's focus first, though, on what are the specific challenges of this year? Well, in my role um, at the district office, it, uh, it's good and it's bad that I get to see 
kind of the politics around education. And honestly, the, the biggest challenge is funding and um, watching some of our funding disappear, whether it be to other types of schools or sometimes um, even questionable educational um, programming, I would say. And so which a lot of that surrounding the vouchers and um, and just how how our schools are funded in general. And so right now we are looking at enrollment and enrollment. Um, that's how our schools are funded in Arizona. And um, that's what I've spent most of this week looking at and saying, how do we get the students back into our schools um, and and fund when we don't have that enrollment? Because we've planned for, let's say, 4,200 students and we only get 4,000 students. That's a, a lot of teachers that that's a difference of. And so we've staffed for these and we then have to find a way to make up the difference. And it sometimes there's just not the difference. So um Right now, the, the biggest thing on my mind is just school funding and um, how to make sure that there's enough for that basic education to occur. So explain that just a little bit more for those who may not be in Arizona listening to us mm -hmm. about what's, what's going on with vouchers and different charter and private schools in Arizona. So um, in, in essence, what it is, is it's a parent can take their kid out of public school and get a, a ticket, a voucher for... I, I don't know exactly how much they are. I think they range in price, and they can take that voucher over to a private school, or um, it's not even always a private school. It could be what these new things called micro schools, or even um, a parent could piece together their own um, curriculum by saying, I'd like some horse lessons, and I'd like some music class, and I'd like to take my kid to this drama class, and they can use the state tax dollars, the state funds, to go piece together their child's school day. And one of the complaints of the public schools is often those vouchers are more money than what the actual public school would have received. So if, um, again, I don't want to speak outside of my knowledge base, but let's say the school gets $7,000 for a student, a parent could get a voucher for, let's say, eight or nine, ten thousand dollars, and so the public schools are missing that the, that money, and then they're not as able to um, create as rich and as um, full of programs. And of course, there's there's also multiple sides to this perspective. You know, some parents do believe if I'm not using the resources in the public school, then it is my right to take the money and go spend it wherever I want. Um, and so, so that's one belief. And then another very legitimate in my eyes uh, belief is that or or stance that occurs is that some students have such unique special needs that they do need specialized state funds to go get a specialized program um, that often occurs for some of our students with more extreme autism, um, with some more severe delays that can't be met in a public setting um, due to what, whatever may be going on with that child. So there are instances where I think it's, it's totally understandable and necessary, um, but unfortunately it's kind of been left open now. And so anybody can go take their voucher and go wherever they want and get that money. And it's, it's hurting the public schools ultimately is the, our concern right now. Yeah, so the, uh, you feel a hurt most in the sense of diversity of programming or offering, uh, is classroom size affected?
yes, the diversity of programming. We've had to shut down some excellent programs because um, in order to have those, we're needing to adjust staffing ratios. And so we have had to close some. We've had to collapse bus routes, which then that really worries me because then we are talking about access to education. Um, we've also had to... Um, or, or we've had to look at, yes, increasing class sizes. I know, you know, I was at the high school the other day, and we have some classes with 42 students in them, and that's that's a lot, not only on the teacher and the teaching workforce, because then they, what do they do? But it's also a lot on um, the students, and I, I start to question then, can we produce the, qual- or give them the quality that they deserve and need? And that could push some students, some families that are, are have been, historically connected or dedicated to public education that might they might see the situation and they say oh my kids in in a classroom with 42 other students uh why don't i check out this this charter school or this private school where i got now i have funding for that so i could see that these these problems compound upon the top of one another right absolutely and um just one other interesting note is Uh, There's quite a bit of research that shows that the students who are taking advantage of the vouchers are not our low-income students who otherwise couldn't afford private school because the voucher is not sufficient to cover the entire tuition. So the voucher would lower the cost so a family with with, um, already a, a solid income could then maybe afford or it's more attractive for them to go to private school. So it, it really does worry me in that it will create a very um, classed divide um, where the haves will have more and the have-nots will, if we continue to defund the program, then their their quality of program will decrease over time. Counters the very reason that we've had a public education system, which Absolutely. was to say that, access, as you say, access to education for all. And we've had historically... Some school districts, because they have a greater tax base, have had greater resources within them as others. We've had that challenge for a very long time. But I could see that the, you, uh, I didn't know what can of worms I was opening when I just say, what are the challenges you're facing? And uh, those are big. And so what one thing, where's where's the success that you feel like right at the moment? You're, you've engaged in something that says, this feels like success at the moment. I'm, I mean, I think it's any time we get to see kids learning in a classroom and and I get to see that every single day and so um, it was funny I asked a teacher the other day what's your favorite part of teaching and she said teaching a kid to read and so um, just getting to see children with quality books in their hands um, learning to read loving reading um, I think that's been something we've really pushed hard and that's something that thankfully does not require a lot of extra resources it just requires some good books and some excellent teachers and so um, I, I think seeing teachers committed to learning and committed to teaching students um, how to read, how to love reading, and and all that it opens up for them. That's that's one of the greatest rewards of education and um, truly developing students who love learning. Well, let's tackle that other question about the changes you've seen in 20 years. You know, I could say, to look back myself and say, uh, the kind of expectations that were around learning and attendance and uh, engagement in school, or but even when then we're talking about curriculum and and I know there's there's always a new trend in education, but what what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? Absolutely, and and it's a little bit hard for me to answer that because I've been in Washington, Illinois, Texas, and Arizona, all four very different landscapes and and attitudes towards education. However. I feel that 
up until about four years ago, it was um, compulsory education was the law of the land. You went to school, um, whether it was a public school, private school, or homeschool, but it was everybody went to school and there was no question about it. Since then, we've kind of seen this empower parents movement um, come forward, and I think there's a lot of great things in that. However, I think there's a lot more students in Arizona who are not going to school on a regular basis than what we're even aware of in the name of their parent either says they're homeschooling, but they don't have to really file anything, um, or it's just not convenient and they are just going to um, teach them on their own. So um, that's been a worry. Also, just in terms of attendance, like I know when I was in Texas, which I know we like to think that Texas education system isn't that strong, but it was a lot stronger than, than what we have here in Arizona. Um, and so in Texas, if a student missed school and the parent was contributing to that student's non-attendance, there was actually legal action that took place um, and and not in, in the sense of child protective services necessarily, but in the sense that the the courts would get involved and require the parents to bring their children to school, saying, we are paying for your child to have an education. You must help and be a partner in that. Um, here in Arizona, if we have a student who's not coming to school, we really don't have a lot of recourse. It's well, it's the parent's child. It's the parent's decision of what they're going to do. And ironically, the schools do actually get um, punished, for lack of a better word, in the sense of their school letter grades and all of that. And so we're definitely motivated to do to do everything possible to get all of the kids into school, loving school, wanting to be at school. Um, but that that would be something that has been a worry. And it, it do, does kind of speak to some of the distrust of um, educators. I, I feel like teachers used to be really revered and um, everybody loved teachers. And it's kind of swung a little bit now where people don't necessarily trust teachers. They think they're brainwashing their children or indoctrinating them or, or whatever. And so we see that distrust in our legislation and that if I'm going to read a book aloud in class, it has to have already been approved by the governing board. Um, which is, is a lot of extra work that, that doesn't need to happen just so that we can read, you know, Pete the Cat or Dr. Seuss in class. So um, that's been kind of a, a sad thing. On the positive side, um, I've seen a lot of, of shifts towards ensuring that all of the students that are at school are meeting the standards. And we have a lot more effective interventions for the students who um, may be struggling, who in the past eventually just dropped out, or we kind of coached them in a different direction. And I feel like now that's, that's not an acceptable option. We have a lot of supports in place to make sure 100% of the students who are there um, succeed and, and have multiple opportunities when they graduate. So there's some very positive moves within education, but then um, I think it's that more external uh, forces that are that are questioning and, and trying to erode trust in our educators, and that part um, makes it difficult at times. One thing I know about you is that you're part of a church that really uh, that focuses on education, that really prizes a sense of we're always lifelong learners in the world and in the church and in faith. And so uh, I wanted to ask you, but how does your how does your personal sense of faith inform the work that you do? So, I, I mean, I think initially that's one of the reasons I got into education was almost a calling, uh, feeling it as a mission field in a sense of 
uh, wanting to make a difference, wanting to teach others how to think critically for themselves and to be independent thinkers and independent learners. And so um, that's kind of been an undertone so far in education. It also, um, I have a lot of faith in education. I do believe that education can can support areas um, of the world that or of society that are struggling. So um, you, whether it be drugs, homelessness, mental health, whatever, I do believe education is at least sets the foundation for for what we need to change that. However, I've also seen over and over it's it's not enough that you do need to have a faith as well, and that whether um, and and that would be, you know, a, a belief in God that there is a higher being that ultimately is in control of it all and that we can only do so much and we can we can you know they say you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink at a certain point you need something to kind of close that gap without faith I think you could get cynical really quickly in education just because of as I mentioned before some of the attacks and feeling like you're you're fighting an uphill battle at times as opposed to saying you know it this isn't my battle this is just, I'm here as a worker, and I'm going to do the part that I can while I'm here on this earth, and this is part of a larger issue. Right, and you have, a, you have both a faith community and a family structure that's, that supports you both in your own personal, fa- in, in faith and in faith expression, and in how that plays out in the world. So I can really see that as a sense of, uh, your sense of calling uh, and, and service and that the community supports you when when the work you do gets really tough. You know, one other thing I'm thinking of, too, is that um, I ha- there was a period in my career where I did believe that a certain punishment or con- there, there was justice. Justice actually existed and um, that, that I couldn't enact justice as a principle. And, oh, three days of a suspension is going to, is what you get because you were fighting or whatever it may be. And I think um, my faith has taught me that that's. It's not my place to do, and that ultimately it's God's grace that that keeps me alive here. And in a in a similar way, um, you know, everybody deserves that grace and and to be taught and to be patiently retaught what your expectations may be in a, in any given situation. So um, I, I think that's the other thing that sometimes I've struggled with because I. I do sometimes have that strong sense of justice that I have to check myself and say, I'm, I'm nobody to be telling this person that they shouldn't be doing that. Um, and so I think that's been key as well. And I think to, to, to hear that with a, you know, tempered with a sense of all of us are, we're setting boundaries all the time and boundaries are important and accountability is important. But, uh, but to hear the word of grace, even in the midst of, as we're trying to be highly stru- structured in life and structured in education and that holding people accountable and calling out the highest and best in each person. And that's where I think grace, grace plays the biggest part for each of us is that the demands of this life are such that, uh, uh, we are all reliant upon grace. And uh, yeah, so I really appreciate your coming in and having a conversation with us today, Patty. Thank you. And wish you well for this coming school year. Thank you. Join us again for another Out of the Park podcast. This month, we're focusing on education and back to school. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.